Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you do have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 17, if you're not already there. And uh, again, we've been walking through the book of Luke and making a a journey with Jesus. And we've seen some people um, journey to Jesus, uh, come to faith in Him, and and, uh, even seen people baptized during this study. And so added to the church, we praise God for all the work that He's done. But last week, uh, we came to a place where Jesus was teaching some, uh, some more important lessons, a, a part of the scripture that we dissected and three points that we looked at. I want to go over those again. If you were here, just to remind you where we left off. If you weren't here, if you're out of town, sick or whatever, or you're a guest, this is what we covered. Point number one was this. Our temporal riches don't give value to our soul. Our temporal riches don't give value to our soul. We were going through uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and we saw that the, the rich man died and the Bible says and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and so he was rich he had everything in this world that this world could offer he lived the the life that everybody would seemingly want to live but when it was over it was over and that was it and then he had all of eternity to face uh, in in a hell and so uh, the value that man may have put on his soul while he lived on this earth was completely off and it was vice versa with uh, Lazarus Lazarus was the poor beggar laid at the rich man's gate. People probably walked by him and saw and thought, you know what, this guy, he's miserable. He, he's got the worst life ever. I mean, what a, what a miserable way to live life. And again, probably looked at him and, and uh, thought, man, I would not want to live that life. I would rather live the life that the rich man lived. And when the beggar died, the Bible says that he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom and he was comforted there. And so we can't look at what we have in this life, our temporal riches or the possessions that we have, and think, I'm more important, or they're more important, or this is what it's all about, uh, because they don't give value to our soul at all. Uh, God, God gave value to our soul when he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. And so he died for every man. And so we have to understand that's the value uh, that we have in this life. Number two was our current circumstances can't determine our trust in God. Our current circumstances can't determine our trust in God. What we go through, whether it's good or bad, we can't allow that to be the wind and us a wind vane uh, in our trust to God. When I was uh, in high school, we we, um, had an arch rival in in football, in most sports, and it was Azel. And uh, we wanted to just beat Azel every year. I mean, we want to beat everybody, but we want to beat Azel every year specifically. They were our rival. And so uh, one year, I think it was my senior year, we, our, our football team was doing really good. Uh, we were undefeated up to this point, and we were walking in there. And from my seventh grade year up to my junior year, Azel had beat us in football. It was not good. We were not happy. And there were many times we thought we should beat them. We're better than them. But going into this game, my senior year, again, there was no doubt in our mind we were better than them. We were going to beat them. Uh, and so we were pumped up. They had a stud on the other side of the ball, and they had several guys, but they had one guy in particular that was really good. And uh, I, I was thinking, man, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to, uh, to do something. Now, let me give you a little background. I was a, I was a tight end, and 
tight ends really didn't get to do a whole lot. I mean, every now and then you get a catch pass, block. Uh, when I say that, as far as like, uh, it, it's kind of an in-between guy. You got the linemen who are doing the grunt work. I mean, they are making it happen. And then you got the receivers and they're doing all the other stuff and the running backs. Tight ends just kind of get put in there. I was okay with that because I just, I just wanted to do my job, wanted to do it best I could. But there was, there was a play that they had designed. It was a couple plays, but there was one in particular play uh, when I first started playing football, when I was in sixth grade, I was a running back. And, and I was like, yeah, it's funny. You just get to run people over, and, and, and it, it's great. Uh, well, I didn't play running back my whole time up until, again, my senior year, going into Azel. We had practiced a play all season long, and it was called Ted Reverse. It was a tight end reverse. And the reason why we thought we could use this against Azel is because that stud on the other side of the ball was their safety. He was also their running back and receiver. And uh, he, was, he was very aggressive. And so he was flying to the ball. Every time that we would run right, he was, he was from the safety position coming up and meeting people on the line. And so we had this Ted Reverse in there because it was playing off of, of misdirection of one of our running plays. And then I come around right behind the line, get the ball, and run. And so I was like, the coach was like, hey, we're probably going to run this day. You need to be ready. I'm like, coach, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let, let's, let's run the Ted reverse. And so, um, so that, that, was a, that was an exciting time. But so we go out to this game, and we are warming up. And it, I mean, it's, it's near the end of the year, so I think it's probably November. And um, the weather, though, was abnormally warm. And we were out there, and I was sweating. We were all sweating. It was hot. I mean, it was like the beginning of the football season, it seemed like. And we're getting all warmed up, and, and we were warm by, by far. So we go, we go into the locker room and sitting there kind of, you know, getting, getting hydrated, and the coaches are talking to different positions and making sure they remember the last notes before we got on the field. And all of a sudden, we hear this. Like, I mean, gut, wind blowing like no other. And matter of fact, the, the, the locker room doors that we were in, they were metal. They go flying open. Wham! And we were like... What in the world? And we see nothing but dust and wind. It was, it was crazy. And they, they were trying to pull the doors, close, close, close the doors. And they said, boys, I uh, hope you all brought some extra clothes because it, it's cold out there now. <laughs> and, and we were like, cold? There's no way. I mean, there's no way it changed that drastic. Um, but they were right. They were 100% right. <laughs> Um, and they had this box, you know, of other extra equipment with like um, hand warmers, that, the little uh, muff things that they you put around your, and you keep your hands warm. Uh, they had uh, ear muffs. They had big jackets and stuff just in case. And uh, so, again, the, the temperature went from, I think it was probably like 80 degrees, 85 degrees to it felt like 30 degrees. And the wind was from the north. It was freezing. There was people there that were going to the stores and getting blankets and jackets. And uh, it, was, it was just crazy. Um, but that was a, a drastic, drastic, drastic change in circumstances. And I share all that story. And I share that because it made me think when we were going through this last week. Um, that just because the weather and the environment changed drastically. It didn't change our objective. It didn't change what our goal was to do, to go out there and beat Azel. What may have changed is our determination to buckle down, uh, to dig deeper, to try harder, um, and to adjust a few things. 
but it didn't change our goal of directions. And so, you know, sometimes in life, our circumstances can change that fast and that drastic. Everything's wonderful. You're, you're ready to go. You're warmed up. You're, you're primed. You're prepped. You're ready to just continue living life. And then all of a sudden, drastic changes come. But we have to know that that doesn't change our direction or our goal. That doesn't change what we're supposed to be doing um, in that game. Can you imagine what would happen if those doors burst open, we walked outside and walked back in and said, Coach, we're not playing. We're not playing in that. That changed too much. We were warm. We were ready to play in 80-degree weather, not ready to play in 30-degree weather. Can you imagine the coach going over to the other coach? Well, see, Coach, the thing is my guys can't play. <laughs> it's just too cold for them. They were ready to play in 80-degree. They're not ready to play in 30-degree. Uh, it, it would have been crazy. Uh, and so just because our circumstances don't change, you say, well, so what happened with the Ted reverse? We ran the Ted reverse, <laughs> and, it, and it worked. It worked. I, I went around the end, got the ball, and I felt like Emmett Smith and <laughs> did not look like Emmett Smith at all, but I, I felt like it. And, and I ran around the edge, and that safety, sure enough, he bit on that side, but he was really fast, and he was really good. And he come flying across. He came this way and come flying across right at me. And I'm telling you, it was, it was the moment that I remember. I, I channeled my inner Emmett Smith. I channeled, I channeled that sixth grade boy, that running back. I gave him a little juke and a stiff arm, and his face went down in the grass. Planted him down. And then he caught me from behind. <laughs> I ran, I, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to justify myself. There was, a, there was a receiver dancing with a cornerback. He wasn't making a decision one way or the other, and so I was dancing with him, kind of <laughs> just stuttering along, and here comes a linebacker, and here comes that safety, and I just, I just try to barrel through them. They jump on my back, and we ended up scoring after that anyways. But Ted Rivers, it, it worked. Number three last week, though, was our opportunity for salvation is now, and we must be urgent about it. Uh, we must be urgent about God's message of salvation through Jesus alone while there's time. Again, we remember that even though the rich man had the, the life that everybody seemingly would want to live, his life ended. And he ended his life, and he was lost. And that's the story for so many people still today. They may be living for this world. They may be focused on the things of this world, maybe even focused on their own selves, and they're lost. And one of these days, they're going to die, and it may be sooner than later. And if they don't get saved, if they don't hear the good news, I loved what uh, someone just said. I think it was the missionary last week. He said, it's only good news if someone hears it, right? It's only good news if they, if they get it. And so we have to be urgent. If we're saved, we've got to get that message out with urgency. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're thinking, well, I think I'm going to be all right when I stand before God, I promise you this. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. That there's none that doeth good. Not, not me, no, no one in this room could ever be good enough to go to heaven on our own. It's only because the grace of God and the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can spend eternity with God. And so God made the way for every single person. And so if you've not put your trust in Jesus today, please hear the urgency in this. You have to have Jesus before you die. You have to be saved before you die because if you don't, it'll be the story just like the rich man, that he had a life that was wonderful, but it came to an end and he spent eternity 
in the lake of fire and hell. And so, again, very important points last week. I want to go ahead and move on this week in chapter 17, so let's pray. We'll get into this. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for uh, the reminders that we've had so far uh, of what we saw last week in your word. Now, as we turn and move forward to chapter 17, Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak to us, continue to work in this body. Help us to receive what you want for us to receive. I pray that we'd have ears to hear, eyes to see, and Lord, we would take this and, and apply it in our lives where it's necessary. And God, if there is someone here that's still lost, uh, they've never put their trust in you. Lord, if they were to die today, they're not sure that heaven would be their home. I, I pray today they would make that matter and they, and they would get that matter settled, Lord. They would understand the importance of placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, move in our midst and we'll praise you for all you do. Use me as a vessel so that you can be glorified in you alone. We'll praise you again for all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 17, verse 1, Then said he to this, uh, unto the disciples, It's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hang, uh, hanged about his neck, and that he is cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, Jesus was teaching a very vital point, and, and, and it seems very simple, seems very elemental, it, 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 and it, in many ways it is. But we can graze over this and just kind of move beyond this if, if we're not careful and understand how important this is. Point number one is this. We must strive to not cause others to sin. We must strive to not cause others to sin. He said that offenses, that people will cause other people to stumble and to fall. It's impossible to stop this, he says. It's impossible that they're going to happen. People are going to be offended People are going to mess up and cause other people to mess up and fall. And it's going to happen. But the question we have to ask is, why is this impossible to stop? Why does it have to be that way? Why is it that people are going to still cause other people to sin? Why did Jesus say this? It's a very simple answer. Because sin and sinners are still on this earth. Because sin and sinners are still on this earth. And so that's what happens when you have that. He said, yeah, when Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross. He defeated sin, right? He did. The penalty of sin was placed on him. He was victorious in the resurrection, defeating death, hell, and the grave, defeating sin, all those things. However, as long as sinners need to be saved, there's still going to be sin. As long as that's the case, praise God, Christ can still save sinners. And so that's where we're at. If there were no sinners, there would be no, no salvation. There would be no need for Christ to save. But because there are still sinners, Christ is still saving. That's the situation that we're in. Sin and sinners still exist. One day, death, the Bible says, and all of the associated consequences with death will be destroyed. But offenses still happen. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death is death sin's consequence the bible says in romans chapter 6 verse 23 is death it says the wages of sin is death so again if if the last enemy is death what does that tell us it tells us what uh, what peter says peter says this the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe the Lord knows who that last one is. 
in, in God's eternal time frame. I don't understand that. I don't know what that time frame is. But God has a time frame that's actually outside of our time. And he knows when he is going to return. He knows when judgment's coming to this earth. He knows all those things. And at some point in time, he is going to come. Death is going to be ultimately destroyed, the last enemy of God. And that is when this earth will not have to deal with sin or the consequences of sin anymore. And until that time, we have to deal with it. We still have to deal with offenses. We still have to deal with stumbling blocks. And I want to be clear with this too. Remember, it said in verse 1 that Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was teaching them a very important lesson. So this applies to us today. He wasn't just talking to the Pharisees. He wasn't calling them out on something, even though he's speaking about them particularly. But he's teaching his disciples a lesson in this. See, they were supposed to be very careful not to do something, listen, intentionally or in rebellion or in the flesh to bring someone to the place of sinning themselves. He, he, was, he was warning them because the Pharisees were living a certain lifestyle. He's already called them out on it. He's already called them hypocrites. He's already talked to them about their self-righteousness and their, you know, uh, the self-absorption. We've talked all about that. But he's telling his disciples now, you need to be careful because offenses are going to happen. But it's not good for the person who they come by. As I said, it's apparent he's talking about the Pharisees because... They were that rebellious crowd. They were that self-righteous crowd. They were that, that, that group that was so religious that Jesus told them they were even preventing others from entering into the kingdom of God. He told them that. Their disregard for God was seen in their disregard for others. And so someone in that place, someone in that religious, someone in that self-centered, self-righteous, uh, someone in that rebellious state who would cause others to stumble, stumble Jesus said is going to face severe judgment. It would be better, he said, that a millstone, a large, many thousands of pounds stone for, for grinding would be hung around his neck and him to be cast into the sea than to fend one of these little ones. And I want you to notice too, he said little ones. He said, why is he talking? Is he talking about just the kids, the, the children? In chapter 10, we saw this already in verse 21. It should be on the screen. It says this, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, listen to this, and hast revealed them unto babes. Jesus said, unless a man becomes like a little child, he can't enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about the innocence. He's talking about submission. He's talking about the yielding. He's talking about that absolute trust that's found in a child. So we as adults, we grow, we get, we get used to doing things ourselves. We get used to fixing things ourselves. We get used to handling problems ourselves. We get used to getting through stuff ourselves. And so we can get to a place where we feel like, feel like you know what? I think I can deal with, with standing before God myself. I don't necessarily need salvation. And so many people today think that they can do it themselves, that they'll get before God, and they'll have enough things to say and explain away why God needs to get them in, uh, let them into heaven. And that's just not going to happen. This is not going to happen. So it's, as little children, it's as babes. Jesus referring to his followers here as little children, those who are vulnerable, those who have made themselves vulnerable to him. But this warning 
again, was to serve his followers a very important lesson. Look at the next verse. That's why he charges them. Take heed to yourselves. You need to pay close attention to yourselves, he says. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Very simple process, right? If your brother trespass, if, if, you, if, you, if he does something to sin against you, if he does something to offend you, you need to tell him. And if he says, I'm sorry, you need to forgive him. Very basic, very simple. It's very simple to God. That's, that's what he's telling them. But look, he even goes further. Because mankind, he knows the heart of man. He knows the tendencies of man. Mankind is like, I'll do it once. You know, what, what's, the, what's the saying? You, 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 you burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. That's ma- ma- mankind's mindset. Like, I forgave him once. God knows our hearts. And so he says this. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he turns and asks thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. I don't like that. (laughs) That's that's what the flesh says. I don't don't like that. I, I, I don't want to do that. He says, pay attention to yourselves. In these verses, we see that not only are the followers of Christ, his children, to strive to not cause someone to stumble into sin. But listen, they are to counteract the damage that sin and causing others to sin causes by forgiving others. That's the counteraction that the people of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, are to do when it comes to offenses. We are to watch ourselves so that we don't cause others to stumble and sin, whether we're walking in the flesh, whether we're walking in rebellion, uh, or, or, or what have you. But also, if somebody does that to us, he says, you need to watch yourselves. Be careful. And if this happens, this is what you need to do. Point number two is, we must sincerely forgive others of repented sins. And I, I, I want you to see that word repented sins you say why because that's that's crucial to our right relationship with each other it's crucial and so yeah 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 I get it I, I, I forgive no 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 this is the remedy please listen this is the remedy for the division and the strife that Satan loves to sow and loves to cultivate in the body of Christ. To keep the body of Christ weak and ineffective in the kingdom of God. This is what he loves to do. If he can get brothers and sisters in Christ set at aught with each other, if he can get brothers and sisters of Christ not in unity and harmony with each other, then he knows that we're stuck in the mud. He knows that we're not going anywhere, that that we are ineffective, we are powerless, because as individuals, yes, we have the power of God inside of us, but that's not what he set up only. He did not just design the individual to have a relationship with him. That's That's one thing, but I said that's not only what he designed. He also designed the body of Christ. He designed the church. He designed us 
to be members one of another, Corinthians says. To operate, to, to move, to function, to thrive, to operate in his power together. Together. And so if he can get in there and he can cause little issues and, and, and stumble and offenses, and those things will left, will, it, we'll let those things go unresolved, powerless. Not moving in the direction of God. So we can't just pass over this. It's not just something like, well, I'll get over it. No, this is not that type of issue. This is a kingdom of God issue. And I want you to notice as well, very important, if you can't forgive and it be done. So someone said something, someone did something, someone didn't say something, someone didn't do something, and, and so my feelings are hurt, so I'm, I, I feel offended by them. This, this is where I'm at. If you can't, in your devotion to God, your private uh, individual walk with God, if you can't sincerely forgive them and forget it and it be done over Never to bring up again, never to, to, uh, to, to cause an issue again. If you can't do that, very clearly it says you are to rebuke your brother and give them an opportunity to repent and make it right. That's what it says. You, you, are, you are to let them know that they did something. Don't just give them the cold shoulder. Don't just act weird around them. Don't just avoid them. Don't, don't do that. That's not how unity and strength and power in the body of Christ is, is experienced. He says, if somebody's done something to you, let them know. That's what the word rebuke means. In our, in our English vocabulary, we think uh, rebuke is something ugly and nasty and bad. But in the vocabulary of, of Scripture, it's not. I mean, it can be. There are times that it talks about it, it being like that, like a sharp rebuke. But here, it's not talking like that. The word rebuke here means censure. What does that mean? It means to make a clear, formal statement of disapproval. Now, this rebuke, this censure, is not to happen with condescension or with self-righteousness. It's to happen with humility and love. So what it's saying is this. If somebody does something to you that causes you to stumble or to fall or to sin... If somebody has done something to you, your responsibility as the little one of God, as a child of God, is to go to that brother or sister in love and in humility, and we'll see in just a second why, and rebuke them. Again, tell them in a very clear, formal statement what has happened. Give them the opportunity to say, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean that. I would have never not. I would have never this intentionally. Give them the opportunity. The reason why I said it, uh, humility and love, the Bible says that that's how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to be humble. Humble yourselves before God, before the mighty hand of God. But it also says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. It says, let all your things, let all your deeds, let all your activities be done with charity. Everything. Whether it be talking to someone in a conversation or telling them that they've offended you or that they've wronged you and caused you to sin is to be done in humility and love. So in love, tell them. And listen, please, listen. Tell them. Tell them. Directly and clearly what they've done to cause this 
And so what that means is, no telling others. Uh-oh. But that's easier. That's easier. If they've, if they've hurt me, if they've caused me to sin, it's a lot easier to tell this person because then I don't have to deal with it, I don't have to face it, I don't have to, I'm just too emotional, I'm too messed up with it right now. That's the flesh. You've heard me say many times before, usually the easier things to do in this life are the fleshly things. Typically, the harder things to do are the spiritual things. And so when you're facing a, a decision in your life and you feel like, man, um, this is really hard, but this is really easy. Most of the time, if, if you evaluate it, this thing that's really easy is given into the flesh. Think about it. Somebody offends you in this body. They've hurt your feelings. They've sinned against you, caused you to sin. It's a lot easier to talk to that person that you're close to about them than it is to actually go to that person who's offended you and, and tell them. But the Bible says, rebuke them. It doesn't say, tell it to your neighbor, tell it to your close friend, tell it to this. It doesn't say that. It says, rebuke them. Tell them directly what they've done. So no telling others. And again, very directly, the word rebuke means to clearly make this uh, known to them. So that is to make sure that you are direct with them. No beating around the bush. And that's hard to do, too. Because when we get to those, those difficult situations, we feel like if I'm going to be direct with somebody, I have to be ugly with somebody. And that's not true either. That's what the flesh says. Because if I'm going to be direct and just tell them how it is, then I'm going to be ugly. That's not at all. I mean, Jesus was very loving and, and rebuked many people many times and just told them what the problem was. Of course, he's God, but he can do whatever he wants. But so no beating around the bush, and then also no stewing about it. Don't let it fester. If somebody's hurt you, if somebody's offended you, if you cause you to sin, don't sit on it. Because you want to talk about eating your lunch. It will eat your lunch over and over and over and over. Satan will use it. He, he, will, he will stoke that fire as often as he can with whatever he can. He will do it. And you'll stay miserable. And that person that offended you, that person that sinned against you, they may be going on oblivious, just no idea. Except when they get around you, you don't want to have anything to do with them. And I want to say this. Every single one of us knows this. Whenever somebody, you, me, when, whenever I've been hurt, whenever you've been hurt, the natural human reaction typically is to withdraw. Right? Right? We've also been on the other side of the coin. Whenever we see somebody and, and, and they are, they've been hurt, they, they, they've gone through something, and they, they are unapproachable, that can be difficult to approach, right? There that person is. You know, they're, you know that they're offended. You know they're hurt. It's hard to approach them. But we all have to strive to operate in humility and love. So don't stew on it, but pray about it. Pray about it. If somebody's hurt you, pray about it until you can go in that spirit of love and sincere reconciliation with that spirit of humility, and, and then at that point, when you can do that, then go tell them, but don't stew on it. Say, so how do I not do it? How do I not stew on it and pray about it 
and stay in the right spirit, right heart, and, and, and not be affected, how can I do that? Be devoted to praying about it. Every time that, so I'm just not ready to talk to them yet. Okay, but don't sit here and stew about it. Don't, don't just sit there. When, when those feelings come out, that hurt comes up, don't just sit there and stew about it and go about your day. As soon as it comes up inside of you, hit your knees and start praying, God, I want to make things right. I want things to be right in the body. I want things to be right with this brother. I want things to be right with this sister. God, help me. Give me the right heart. Give me the right spirit. Give me the right words. Help me, Lord. I need your strength. Don't just let it sit. I'm, I'm feeling like I just don't feel like going to church. Don't do that. Don't do that. Get on your knees before God and ask for his strength. Because remember the promise of God? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So don't just try to do it yourself. You're going to get worse. Turn to him and ask for his help in this. And let him bring you to that place where you can approach it and heal in the body of Christ. Next thing is this. It's very clear in here as well. When they say, I'm sorry, you forgive and you forget. They say, no, 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 no. No, that's not how that works. Yes, that's how it works. That's biblical forgiveness. That's exactly what Jesus says that he does with us. He says, your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. It says that he cast them as far as the east is from the west. That's as far as he has removed our iniquities from us, our transgressions from us. That's what he, we are called to do, is to forgive like that. See, as the people of God, we have been forgiven that way, and we want God to continue to forgive us that way. Right? We, we, we don't want him at some point in time. Uh-uh. I remember the day. That's not how God works. That's not how he operates with us. The Bible says that when we ask God to forgive us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, he, keep, he doesn't keep a little bit reserved back just for that day that we mess up again because when's it going to happen? It's going to happen again tomorrow. And so if we want God to forgive us like that, that's the charge and the way that we're supposed to forgive each other. And the Bible says that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it begins, it says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that, that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And listen to these words, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Listen to this. With all malice. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you who is love, joy, peace, uh, all the fruits of the Spirit inside of us. That's what we have. And so he says, whenever you see these things or those things want to roar their head anymore, evil speaking, bitterness, wrath, clamor, uh, anger, evil, all those things, when they are in there, he says, put them away from you with all malice, hatred. I'm not supposed to have anything to do with bitterness. I'm not supposed to have anything to do with evil speaking. I'm not supposed to have anything to do with anger or wrath. Put it away from you with hatred. I don't want that in my life. That's what he says. And then he continues on to kind of drive the nail in, in, in the situation. He says, and be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then here's, here's the, the, uh, the qualifier. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. It's not on our righteousness, it's what, not what we deserve, but because the payment of the holy God incarnate, Christ, on the cross, paying for our sins, is that God can look on us when we say, God, forgive me, 
He can look to his son, his holy son, the, the propitiation, the payment, the atonement, the satisfaction of our sins. He can look to him and say, I forgive you, my child, because of Christ. And it's done. It was finished. Jesus said it. It's finished. The work was done. The payment for sin was completed. And so for us to say, I'll forgive them once, but they can't, they're not going to cross me again. We're to forgive as we've been forgiven. And if you remember Matthew chapter 6, we've looked at this before. It says, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Your hope for a right relationship with God is gone if you're not willing to forgive your brother or sister for an offense. It's gone. So until you get that right, you cannot, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you give, no matter how much you sing, no matter how much you read, no matter what, if you aren't right with your brother or sister in Christ, the Bible says your fellowship with God is broken. It's impossible for you to have a right relationship. Things may get better. You may start feeling better about things, but it's not right. And God can ultimately bless not only your relationship, but the life that he has you here for. Fellowship is broken when unforgiveness remains. God is one. He's unity. He's connected with his people, period. We are connected to him as the head. So whenever there is an indifference with one member, there's an indifference with the whole body. No, I just have a problem with that person. I don't have a problem with all them. No, you do. You have a problem with everybody if you've got a problem with that person. Because we're members, the Bible says, one of another. Same body. One body, one faith, one Lord, one God. It's all in Scripture. And so again, the answer is to forgive. As much as he's been gracious to you, as much as he's been merciful to me, we should be so ready to be gracious and forgiving of each other. That's the truth. If we look at how, how, how gracious and merciful and forgiving God has been in our life, I don't know about you, but ask God to forgive me every day. Every day. Usually many times a day. How gracious is that? He's not keeping record. Because love keeps no record of wrongs, is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And God is love. And so we have to understand there's no limit to this forgiveness either. Some of them said, no, 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 he said seven. If your brother forgives you, if he, if he does this seven times, that's, that's, what, that's what we're supposed to do. That's incorrect. <laughs> this is a suppositional statement. It's a supposition. He says, if your brother offends you seven times in a day, what is seven? It's the number of completion. There are seven days a week. He was talking about even if this thing happens all day long, every day, you are to forgive them if they repent of this offense, no matter what it takes. To Peter, Peter asked the question, no, Lord, how many times a day are we going to have to forgive our brother if he offends us? He says, seven, even if he offends you 70 times 7, 490. So again, it's talking about the completeness because in love, we are complete. We are perfected by love, the Bible says. And so 7 is just a representation of completion as many times as it takes so when, when will they learn I don't know that's between them and God our job 
is if they, for, if they offend us and we tell them they've offended us or they, they've caused us to sin, our job is to, in love and humility, tell them very cl- clearly and directly, this is what you've done, it's hurt my feelings. This is what you've done again, it's hurt my feelings. This is what you've done yet again, it's hurt my feelings. This is what you've done again, you've hurt my feelings. Again, you've hurt my feelings. Again, you've hurt my feelings. Again, this is causing me to stumble. Again, I'm having a hard time being at church because this. Again, in love and humility, tell them. And every time they say, I'm so sorry. I'm a knucklehead. I, I, I don't know why I can't get this right. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. The Bible says to forgive them and forget it, just like Christ forgave us. If not, then the refusal. Again, we ask God to hold us to uh, a different standard. In this refusal, we're asking God to do something different because Matthew chapter 7 says this, judge not that you be not judged. With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. Measure you, measure you, measure, measure, measured unto you. So look, if you're holding people to a different standard than you are your own self, that's how God will hold you. That's how accountable he'll hold you. So if you're unwilling to forgive, again, if you forgive not, your Father will not forgive you. That relationship with God is hindered. Their minds must have been a little bit blown. And the reason why I think their minds were a little bit blown is because listen to their response as we get ready to close. Verse 5. The apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> I mean, think about that. They, 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 it, 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 he was telling them, this is what I'm commanding you, you to do. This is what your responsibility as my followers are, is to forgive like this. It's to be different than the Pharisees. It's to be different. You're to be my people, not the people of this world, not the people of Satan. You're to be my people. And so this is what this, the charge is. Yeah, it made me seem monumental. Seven times, 70 times seven in a day if he does this. I mean, that seems like a, a, a person is taking advantage of somebody else. We sang a song this morning, Scandal of Grace. You know what it's about? It's about an innocent God dying for sinners like you and I. That doesn't make no sense. It's a scandal. In this world, when somebody pays, an innocent person pays for a guilty person, we call that a scandal. But it's grace, unmerited favor. He did it, and we don't deserve it. So we look at this and we say, you know what? This seems very hard to do. And the the disciples thought that too. That's why they said, Lord, you're going to have to help us. We need more faith to do this. We need more faith to forgive like that. We need more faith to live like this. And they obviously saw there was a deficiency in their faith. And this morning, maybe that's what we see. Maybe we see, you know what, I, I think that's just too hard for me. Maybe you see a deficiency in your faith, uh, faith to do these things. But I want to point this out. When we see that there is a deficiency, or we see that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing? The answer isn't quitting. The answer is not giving up. The answer is not going a different direction. The answer is not making our own way or doing our own thing. We face that difficult challenge in front of us. The answer is to ask God for more faith to accomplish what he has in front of us. See, people quit ministries, people quit churches, people stop fellowshipping, with the believers, they, they stop all kinds of things. They give in. They start doing what's, as I said a while ago, what's easy in the flesh to do. Why? Many reasons. Many, they do it for many reasons. But often it's, I'm tired 
or I don't feel like this anymore, or they hurt my feelings. Yet again, they haven't done anything to restore that relationship. Or I'm just not feeling it anymore. It's an old saying. Many of you know it. If God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. If it's God, if, if you're walking with God and you're going down the path, and this is the trial you face. If you're walking with God and you're going down the path, and this is the challenge you face. If, if you're walking with God and, 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 and you're walking in faith, you're doing those things, and this is the offense that comes along the way, God will help you through it. It just may mean you say, God, give me the faith I need to move forward. Wherever it may be, serving, leading, forgiving, a trial, a storm, God can give you what you need. Forgiveness, he'll give you what you need. Number three, as we close, is this. Musicians, make your way if you will. We must seek more faith when we face when, uh, when what we face seems too much for us. It's only through trusting him that he can carry us. But we got to be willing to let him. Trials are but for a moment. And we have to remember there's a better day coming. The commands are clear. They're not grievous, the Bible says. So if you're having a hard time doing something that God has in front of you, Again, maybe you're having a hard time doing. Maybe you're having a hard time being or staying or serving or forgiving. Whatever said, we must stop looking at the problem. Stop looking at the giant. Stop looking at the trial. Stop looking at the valley, the storm, and start looking to the one who can help us with anything. The disciples did. They said, forgive like that. Help us. We need more faith. Might not be an easy path, but the, the, look at verse 6. Here's his response. The Lord said, if you had faith in the grain of mustard, so you might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Jesus was saying this. Guys, you think you need more faith to do this. But what I'm telling you right now, you can just activate the faith that you already have. And you'll get through it. And I think that's the case for us many times. We say we trust God, but we really aren't trusting God. As long as everything's good, we're trusting God. I'm good trusting God right now. That's not trust. Trust is relying on Him even in the bad times, even when it's hard to forgive someone. Trusting God is, is, is trusting Him even when you see no path ahead. It's still relying on Him. And so I want to encourage you. As I said a while ago, we must look to our great God, the creator of all things, and not to this temporal hill, not to this temporal storm, not to this temporal trial, not to this, this wedge that's between you and your brother or sister. Don't, don't look to that. Look to the God who says, I'll help you if you let me. I saved you. I forgive you. I can do it, but you've got to trust me. Don't decide what you can or can't do based off the size of your trial. And don't decide what you can or can't do based off what you think you have the strength to do. Determine to look to the Creator and based on His might, decide. And if you do that, it's very clear what the Bible says. For with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. So getting a restored relationship with her brother or sister, not impossible.
Getting through that trial, not impossible. Dealing with this struggle, not impossible. But it all has to do with us not trying to do it the easy way and not trying to do it in our own strength. But fully relying on God. Fully trusting in Him. So this morning, I want to encourage you. Maybe you need to come to this altar and say, God, I need more faith. Or maybe you just say, God, I need to activate the faith that already I've seen you do amazing things in my life already God I just need to activate this faith I feel so weak I feel so helpless I just need to trust you in this you tell me this is what I'm supposed to do and so I just need to trust you and do it the right way if you've got an offense if you've got a problem if, if your brother or sister has caused you to stumble or they've caused you to sin don't wait any longer don't sit on it don't let it fester in you if you can't come to this altar this morning or there in your seat and truly forgive and let it go, then you need to come to this altar this morning and say, God, help me get in the right spirit to make it right with my brother or sister. I don't want to be the, the reason why you can't do more with this body. I don't want to be the reason why we can't reach more people for the kingdom of God. I don't want to be the one that's holding back. I want, to be, I want to be unified and connected. I want to be, I want to be part of what you, you've called us to be a part of. But don't let the time go by. Let's, let's, let's act in faith. Let's respond to God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. We ask you just to move now. Lord, thank you for the stirring and the work that you've done in my heart in, in preparing for this message and even uh, during preaching it, Lord. I pray that you just continue to help me to have the faith. Uh, I want to trust you at all times, Lord. We're all flesh and we can all become vulnerable and weak at times. And so Lord, help start with me. Help all of us to have more faith, to have the faith that we have activated so that we can be and do everything that you've called us to be and do. Lord, I ask you to move now. And Lord, again, if there's somebody that's lost and we've talked about a relationship with you, we talked about forgiveness, talked about the amazing grace that you've shed, the payment of sin that you made there's somebody that's never put their trust their life in your hands i ask that you just move in their heart now that as soon as we open this invitation they'll come down and say what do i have to do to get saved what do i have to do to go to heaven when i die i pray just move in their hearts moving all of our lives now in jesus name